Get on with the preach. You can see I haven't preached for a few weeks. Father, thank you that we can come together to celebrate you and worship you freely. And this morning as we do that, Lord, I pray and ask that you would speak to each one of us. Speak through me, I ask, Lord, but also that you'd speak to every single one of us this morning. Uh, as we look at your word, that we'd be transformed by your word and to reflect you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just before I start next weekend... Um, uh, Everything's normal, but the actual preach part and the, uh, is going to be different. So um, uh, I think it's quite important that everybody's here as much as you can be. So if you can, I'd really appreciate that just because we are, um, are going through some other things. As to, so ne- next week's preach won't be a normal preach. There will be other things involved, but please do prioritize that. Um, and that's all I'll say. I'll keep you in suspense and then you'll, even if you come just out of intrigue, that's good. But I would hope you come more than just out of intrigue. So, the last uh, few weeks we've been doing, uh, looking at uh, uh, the, the issue of grace. We've had a series on grace, and today we're finishing that series. Um, and uh, we've seen that there is saving grace. We saved by grace. We looked at that the first week. They're justified. And that speaks about our position in Christ Jesus. Then the following week, we looked at, um, Andrew looked at uh, empowering grace, and that's about sanctification, and that's our current condition that should always be changing and becoming more like Jesus. And then the third, uh, last week, Tim looked at legalism and guilt, and how uh, for us as believers, there's no more striving to prove ourselves and to gain worth from God or condemnation because we are accepted. And so today, what I want to start off by, we're going to end off the series this morning, but my question to start off with is a rhetorical question, so you don't have to answer, uh, not me, but I think you should answer the question anyway, is, so what? Has anything changed in your life and your expectation and your understanding of God from the first week? (coughs) Sorry. To now. Or is it that we've just come, we've listened each week, we've been challenged and thought, maybe in your home group we've talked about it, but life just carries on. You see, when we come to the Word of God, the Word of God brings life and freedom. And it should transform us as we embrace it and put it into place. And so this morning, as we look at this, uh, the question is, is what has changed, but also where do we go from here? You see, if we have an understanding of grace, and I think we need to have an understanding that is far more than just an academic or an, an intellectual understanding. I think there are scholars who've studied the subject who can probably more eloquently put that across than any of us that have spoken can. But the reality is it's not about an academic understanding, but it's a revelation that brings transformation in our hearts. Otherwise, that academic knowledge means nothing. Does that make sense? So as we look at the word, we should always look at it from the point of view of God, show me what is truth and reveal to me so that it brings a change in my life as we submit to the Holy Spirit. And so I want to go back to the beginning. If we looked in the first week, we looked and we saw that grace in some respects you can define as God's unmerited favor because it's not something that we can earn or deserve, but also that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but gives us what we do not deserve. You remember we looked at that. 
But if that has been our only understanding of grace, it's good, but it's limited. Because the second week when we looked at the empowering grace, and maybe that's something that you've never really considered or still possibly don't quite fully understand, but if we limit God based on what we do understand rather than what we receive by faith, then we miss the fullness of what God has. I actually think we need to be praying and saying, God, show me the full breadth of what it means so that I can embrace more fully what it means to live in your grace, understanding that I'm loved and accepted by you and I don't earn my salvation through my works, but because you loved me. But at the same time, understanding somehow that God empowers us to live as he's created us to live in Christ Jesus. And so I don't think we're ever going to be able to fully comprehend the full extent of grace. Because it's something that is beyond our understanding. And we, we won't fully understand that. But what I do believe is that we, we need to understand and have a, a, a revelation from God that his grace is a gift to us. And it's more than just an inclination of God or a, a, a disposition of God. But it's also about him acting and working out from that place. That's the empowering us and influencing us to live a life that, lives, uh, that, that reflects him. And in that, it changes our capacity to live as Christ has created us to live. We need to ask God to continue to reveal both aspects or all aspects of his grace to us. And it's something that we can't always fully comprehend in our minds because it's a spiritual thing. And we have to discern spiritual things with the Spirit. And we have the Spirit of God in us if we are children of God and that we can understand those things. So I would encourage you, ask God. If there's some aspects of the last few weeks of preaching that you think, well, I kind of get that, don't really know, ask God to show you more. And he will because the revelation from God will bring transformation in our lives that we change and become more like him. But we mustn't limit his, the outworkings of his grace based on our understanding, but rather respond to him. Because I think they're channels through which God moves. And I think the, the first is this, is that we need to have faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, which spoke about the very first week, our Salvation, saving grace, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained, we have gained access by faith into his, this grace in which we now stand. For us to understand and to, to walk in the grace of God, we, need to get, we gain access by faith. It's a revelation of God's grace. If, and, and, and that 
really that response of standing in faith and trusting in faith. It's a spiritual thing, but there's that faith that requires, that goes beyond our understanding because it's faith in him. Faith in his word, faith in who he is, faith in what he says, that breaks open and transforms who we are and our understanding. You see, we might not fully in our intellectual and in our mind understand the fullness of what grace is. But if we have faith in God, we can receive in faith what he says about grace. Because God is faithful, God doesn't lie, God is perfect and God is all loving and everything he says and does is true. And so where we have a limited understanding of scriptures, and in in this context pertaining to grace, we choose by faith in God. It's not wishful thinking. Faith isn't wishful thinking. Faith also isn't some mantra that you just say over and over and over again, positive thought that if I say it enough times, I'll believe it. That's not what faith is. Faith has its substance because it is, it, it is faith in God. It's not faith in something that's non-existent, or you hope, or you wish. It's faith in God. In the same way, if, for, let me give it, as, uh, and, and so we, we gain access to God's grace through faith. So we believe and we trust it is God who's spoken, God who brings, has said, this is how you are saved. It is by grace. And this is what my grace means. That I don't treat you as you deserve. And actually I give you what you don't deserve. It's my unmerited favor and you are justified through Jesus Christ. And we can have faith in grace because it's accessing God. Does that make sense? But if we to walk in the fuller understanding of grace, it's an issue of faith. It's an issue of faith, like everything else in Scripture. It's not, well, if I understand it intellectually, then I'll believe it. That's not faith. It's faith in God. And we trust and we believe because God has said. And what God says is true. And so we adjust our life and our perspective because of who he is and what he said. As children of God, he responds in relationship to us and interacts with us and deals with us from the place of grace. His dealings with us are one of grace. And we need to believe that by faith. Yes, he does discipline and he does bring judgment when he needs to. But he always responds in grace when he can. In some ways you could say it like this. God will correct and bring judgment when it is necessary, but he looks for opportunities to move in grace. If you go back, if you just, uh, this is, let me use this as an example. You, you, you know, at times in scripture, uh, certainly in the Old Testament, you see where God instructs someone or, to, or reveals his plans to someone, uh, and then they start getting into dialogue with God. And sometimes, you know, you've read those and you kind of think, oh, I don't know if I'd do that. Um, For example, when God was going to bring down his judgment on the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah, he told Abraham. And Abraham said to him, God, if there was, I can't remember what amount he started, but if there were 50, if there were 100, if there were 50, if there were 20, and he goes backwards and forwards with God on this. Why do you think God allowed him to do that? If God was going to bring judgment... 
And God knew he was going to bring judgment. Why do you think <coughs> he went into this dialogue with... <coughs> sorry. Why do you think he went in this dialogue with Abraham? Okay, he went all the way down and there was not one. And so judgment came. I believe it's because God is wanting to reveal the fact that he's looking for opportunities to show his grace and mercy. To respond in grace and mercy. And so when, if we have a revelation of God, that God is a, a grumpy old man or an, a, 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 a strict headmaster or someone who is looking for ways to deceive us or trick us, then we've got a wrong understanding of God. Because God has said that he responds to us and treats us not as our sin deserves, but as we don't deserve. And it's an act of grace. And he looks for opportunities to work out his grace and blessing in our lives. And so we need to see that that's God's response. Yes, he brings discipline and correction. And even there, God points, I believe the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin to give us the opportunity to respond so that God can respond with grace. If God didn't want to respond with grace, why would he convict us of sin? Because he's given us what we should and shouldn't do. And if we don't obey that, it's called sin. And so God, who is just, is at full rights to say, well, you broke that, so this is what it is. But that's the old covenant. Because he said, I've paid the price through Jesus. And so I'm going to treat you with grace. So he looks for opportunities. And that's why I even think, I believe, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life that reveals sin is an invitation for us to response in repentance so that God can outwork his grace. And we need to believe these things by faith because they don't make sense. Because we look at it and we think they get what they deserve. Not how God sees it. And so we need to believe what God says about grace by faith. Because it doesn't always make sense. I hope I'm making sense. But our faith is in God. And we gain access to God's grace by faith. So we need a revelation by faith of God's grace. And who he is. The second part is that I think we need a revelation of is of the character of God. And that you'll see interlinked the first point with this one. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. When we gain a greater understanding of the character and the nature of God, the more we understand and walk in and can experience his grace. Like I said just now, he's not a grumpy old man. 
He's not a strict headmaster. He's not, but equally, he's not some Father Christmas. He's God. He's our Father. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the judge. He's love. And he desires to extend grace to his children and is always looking for ways to do that, like I've just said. Too often, I think, we are more acquainted with our failings and our guilt and our shame than we are with the grace of God. And the more we understand who God is, then the more we become acquainted with his grace and his mercy. You see, the truth is that none of us are worthy of God's grace. But that issue of whether we're worthy of God's grace or not has been dealt with permanently by the work of Jesus on the cross. So if you still battle with the thing of God, I'm not worthy, you're not. But it's a non-issue for the believer because it's been dealt with once and for all by Jesus. And now we live free. And so we actually live in this tension of, and I need you to listen carefully for this, we live in this tension of we owe everything to God, yet we owe God nothing. We, let me say it again. We owe everything to God, but we owe God nothing. We owe everything as in we are, should be thankful and grateful to God for the incredible gift of grace and, our, and his mercy. But we owe him nothing. Because, if, because Jesus paid the price in full. If we still owe God, if we say, well, we owe God, we can so easily slip into the, the lifestyle of works. And then what is the Bible and what God says is a gift of grace, our salvation is free. If we still owe God, it's not. We couldn't, God isn't waiting for us to pay him back. We couldn't pay the price in the first place. That's why Jesus came. And he's paid it in full. And so we don't owe him back. He's not expecting us to pay him back. Because it's a gift of salvation. And so we live in this tension of every, we, everything we owe to God. I owe to God the fact that I can breathe. I owe to the fact that God I can live. I can do what I can do. And it's all because of the working of God. But I don't owe God anything. There's nothing I am indebted to God for in that respect because Jesus has paid it all. If he hadn't paid it all, Salvation isn't by grace. And then he's like, I don't know what they're called, um, a loan shark waiting for us to pay back. This debt that's getting ever increasing because we can't live it as he's called us to. So we live in that tension. We owe everything to God, but we owe him nothing. And we have to believe that by faith. 
Because everything in us thinks, well, yes, I'm grateful to God. I, 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 totally, everything, we have to live thankful and grateful. <clears throat> but Jesus paid the price so that we don't owe the price. If we still owe God anything for our salvation, Jesus died in vain. And our salvation is not salvation at all. Make sense? So we live in that tension of owing him everything but owing him nothing. And if we don't understand that character and nature of God, that he has freely given that, and he loves you, and he wants to bless you, and he wants to the best for you, and he pours his love out, and he responds and, and relates to you and I on the place of grace, then we can so easily walk and slip into works again. Oh God, I need to do this, I need to do that. And then we just come under what Tim spoke of last week. But that's why we need to understand and have a revelation of the character of God what he's like. This, uh, and again, we won't ever be able to fully fathom that. But we need a revelation of that that increases. You see, Satan tries to distort or discredit the character of God by getting us to question it. He drops in these seeds of suspicion that he tries to inject. If you think of Eve in the garden... How did he deceive Eve? Because she had empowering grace from God to be able to say no, but she didn't. Why? Because she entered into a dialogue with the devil about the integrity of the character of God. Because Satan said to her, all these fruits, God doesn't want you to eat that because he doesn't want you to be like him. You see, God, uh, Satan tries to discredit and distort the image and character of God and if we enter into dialogue with that then we're in a problematic place we need to have an understanding of his character that we can live in the fullness and an ever increasing measure of what God is like rather we to like 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 to 5 tell us we to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to Christ so that our understanding of the truth our understanding of who God is remains correct and pure I don't know about you but uh, probably not for most of you but I, I, you know I'm I'm because of my creative background in art and everything else, I think in pictures and I think in cartoons sometimes and movies go on in my head and that's not weird, it's just how I think. But when I read this, it's almost like a little, I see a little picture of a person, as a thought comes, they grab it and they bring it down if it's not truth. That's what it's saying. It's take captive every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and you demolish them. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So that when the enemy comes and says, well, what about this? God doesn't, God doesn't love you anymore. That's nonsense. Demolish that one. You're not worthy. No, I'm not, but that's dealt with. Demolish that one. God's trying to withhold things from you. No, he's not. Demolish that one. And we destroy them. by. The, and, and it's not just doing that. 
but it's then taking the truth and filling our thoughts with what is true and what is right and what is biblical so that that's what we build on. So we demolish them, we take them down, make them submit them as, as, uh, obedient to the truth of Christ. <coughs> and we fill our minds and our hearts and our spirits with the truth of what is right. That's why it's important that we have a revelation of grace by faith. We have a revelation of God's character. And we understand what it means to live with that. 2 Peter 1 verse 2 says, Peace and grace. Through, we come to a place of peace and grace through the knowledge of God. It's so important that we understand who God is. Not again, not just academically, but also experientially. You see, in my understanding, when we read Scripture and it speaks about a knowledge, it's a knowledge that encompasses both our experience and our intellect. It's not, it's not, it's not like going to get a degree in theology. Not that that's wrong. It's, it's understand the truth of the word. So spend time reading the word. That's how we get to know who God is and what he's like. But it's not just that. It's spend time reading the word to understand who he is. And then because of his grace, you can come into his presence and you can experience and encounter him in relationship. So when we have a revelation of the character and the nature of, of God, it's one that encompasses both of those. When it speaks about us going uh, grace and peace through the knowledge of God, it's a knowledge that is both intellectual, that comes from reading through our understanding, but also relational through experience, uh, experiential through our relationship with him. That's why reading the word and spending time in his presence in prayer or just in his presence walking, whatever it is, is so important because it, it, we become more and more we have a greater and greater understanding of who he is and his character and his nature. And then, and then when someone speaks, when Satan tries to distort that, we, we recognize, no, that's not true because this is who God is. For, and when we do that, then we start to live in the grace of God. If you want to see a script. A, a, Read if, I encourage you this week, go home and read Ephesians chapter 1 and ask God to reveal to you his character and his nature through that chapter. There's so much in that chapter, but if you look at it from the point of view of reading the word so that God can reveal himself, look at what it says and ask God to reveal his character and nature to you from that. The author A.W. Tozer, or theologian, puts it beautifully. I'm going to, I don't normally read extracts from a book, but he wrote many years ago a book called The Roots of Righteousness, and he puts it like this. The truth is that God is the most winsome of all beings and his service one of unspeakable pleasure. He is all love, and those who trust him need never know anything but that love. He will not condone sin. But through the blood of his everlasting covenant, he is able to act towards us exactly as if we had never sinned. For the trusting sons of men, his mercy will always triumph over justice. The fellowship of God is delightful. He communes with his redeemed ones in an easy, uninhibited fellowship that is restful and healing to the soul. 
He is not oversensitive or selfish or temperamental. He is easy to please and loves us unconditionally. He expects of us only what he himself first supplies. He is quick to overlook imperfections. He loves us for ourselves and values our love more than the galaxies of new created worlds. How good it would be if we could learn that God is easy to live with. He remembers our frame and knows we are dust. He may sometimes chasten us, it is true, but even this he does with a smile, the proud, tender smile of a father who is bursting with pleasure over the imperfect but promising son who is coming every day to look more and more like the one whose child he is. Isn't that a wonderful description of God's grace, his character, and how he relates to us? I think what he says there is so simple but so true. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we realized that God is easy to live with? He's easy to come into his presence and meet with him. It's easy to speak with him. You just speak. Why? Because of his grace. Because Jesus made a way. He did away with the whole thing of us not, that, not being acceptable or worthy that's sorted. It's easy to come into God's presence and be with him. So we need a revelation of grace by faith. We need a revelation of his character so that we can live in the fullness of what that means. And finally, we need to walk with a humble heart. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's repeated in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5. We are to be those who walk humbly because God's grace is extended to us when we walk humbly. But true humility, not false humility. See, false humility, if someone uh, compliments you, it's like, well, I'm not really that good, I just get a buy. That's false humility. True humility is able to accept the compliment, but at the same time in your heart saying, God, thank you that you, by your grace, have enabled me to do this or that. It's understanding that God works in us. God works through us. All that we are comes from him. But we're called to be those who walk humbly before God. See, those who are humble, when faced with a challenge, the first response is, Jesus, help me. God, I need your grace. I loved what Andrew said in week two, which was, enjoy being dependent on God. Enjoy it. Be part of who that is. You see, that's part of walking humbly. Saying, God, I need you. God, I, and I'm going to enjoy needing God. Don't see it as a weakness, but see it as a strength. Because in our weakness, we are strong. And humility says, God, I need you. God, help me. 
You see, grace doesn't mean that life is always going to be nice and that everybody's going to treat you kindly and that all your dreams and desires are just going to fall into place. What grace means is this, is that God's grace enables us in the midst of the stress and the pressure and the, the hostility. We can lean on God. We can walk intimately with him and we can celebrate our life with Jesus. That's what that passage in 2 Corinthians 12 is speaking of. That in the midst of all of these, God's grace enables us to enjoy him, be strengthened by him, so that we can, even in the midst of what can sometimes feel like we're at war, we can still walk with peace and with joy and with faith and with hope, knowing we'll come through because our trust is in him and he is faithful. Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see all these things, the saving grace, the empowering grace, the, what I've been speaking about this morning is all the working of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. The fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives in a way that we can't sometimes understand. But as we submit to him, we can live enjoying God, enjoying his grace, enjoying living the life that he gives us. Delighting ourselves in him. Walking humbly before him. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 to 6, where, it's, where Peter uh, quotes that same thing that James does, which is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, he goes on to say, clothe yourself with humility towards each other. And so as we end off this series about grace, and my question to you at the very beginning was, so what now? When we have a revelation of God's grace by faith, when we have a revelation of God's character and we walk humbly, the what's now is now we need to walk that way with others. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because we've received forgiveness from God. So we know what that is. We walk in grace, in the grace of God, and so therefore we extend the grace of God to others. Clothe yourself with humility towards others and walk and extend God's grace to those around you. Romans chapter 5 From verse 8, it goes in from verse 8 to 10. Actually, you could read probably from 7 to 10. It speaks about the fact that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That while we were still sinners, he paid the price. Jesus didn't wait, or God didn't wait, for us to get it all together. He didn't wait until we were acceptable. And this is the astounding thing. He didn't even wait until we repented. While we were still sinners, or another way of saying it is while we were still enemies of God, 
he died and reconciled us through his death to the Father. As believers, when we falter or sin, he continues to reconcile us when we come and repent. Scripture speaks also in Romans that we are the ambassadors of God. As if God is making his appeal through us. And if you think of an ambassador, an ambassador, I've spoken about this before, probably many years ago now, but it feels like yesterday. An ambassador doesn't live in the country they come from. When they're in the country that they come from, they're just a citizen. An ambassador has to live in a country that is not their own. And everything they do in that country, not just the functions, but everything about their lifestyle, their interactions, their behavior, everything, represents the one they come from. When God says that we are his ambassadors, we are in this world but not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. And so like an ambassador, we're living in a foreign country. Scripture speaks of us as being like aliens. And everything we do and everything we say and how everything we live represents the one from whose kingdom we come, which is God. So my question at the end of this series on grace, if God in his grace, while we were sinners, before we had repented, before we had got anything right, extended his grace and mercy and loved us so much that he died on the cross so that we could be reconciled, how are we living that out with the sinners out there who are not all sorted out, who haven't got everything right, but for whom... Jesus has already died and made a way that they can be reconciled with God. They just don't know it yet. How are we relating and walking among them? Because it's as if God is making his appeal through us as ambassadors who reflect him. Jesus was known as the one who is a friend of sinners because that's what he was. He loved them genuinely. He loved people. When he was walking on earth, he loved people. People loved being with him. Sinners and those, uh, the ones who didn't were the religious people. But even then they were kind of drawn because there was this, he is God, the son of God. But he was known as a friend of sinners and, and, and he didn't love them as a route to conversion. He loved them for who they were. He didn't interact with them for any other reasons because he loves them. He loves man. He loves humanity. He didn't wait for them to get cleaned up. He genuinely loved and cared about man. He lifted them up, restored their dignity. And pointed them to the Father.
we who have received and, un- and understand and walk in the grace of God and our relationship with him need to be those who live that same way in the world around us. This morning in the prayer meeting, I asked if anybody had anything to share, and no one answered. Then Andrew came up and said, I do, but I have to, and he didn't know how it fitted in. And if I'm not wrong, the word you said was that God hasn't got favorites. When we walk around the town, they're not degrees of saints or degrees of sinners. That's man's thinking, it's not God's. Someone who is, I don't know, I don't want to say, I don't want to categorize really, but we can so easily walk around and think, well, I'll wait for them to be a little bit more presentable before I talk to them. Or those ones, they, they're good, they, they give to the poor, they do all these charitable things, and they're good people, I talk to them. It's like, no. If, if someone hasn't encountered God, they need to. Because Jesus has made a way that they can be reconciled to the Father. They just don't know it yet. And it's through us that they're going to get to know that. But it's not just what we do. It's everything about us. Why? Because we're ambassadors. How you live at home. Your relationship with your spouse. Your relationship with your family. Your relationship with your friends. How you speak. How you drive. How you act. How, what you do. What you don't do. All represent the kingdom to which we belong. And if we start to walk in a full understanding of what it means to live in the grace of God, what his character and his nature is, what it means to walk humbly, what it means to have the power of the Holy Spirit walking, working through us, then surely we need to extend that to those around us, those in the church, those out the church. Because that's what God does. While we were still sinners, he extended grace and mercy. He made the way. We need to follow Jesus' example by being full of humility, love, grace, gentleness, compassion, honesty, reality of all of those things. And that all, you can just read Galatians chapter 5 because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why his grace means unmerited favor and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve but gives us what we don't deserve. And at the same time, his grace is the outworking or or, or, or activation or the power of that to enable us to be and do and live all that he's called us to. And God doesn't expect us to do anything or be anything that he hasn't already supplied for us to be and do. So when we understand who God is, his character, when we understand that his grace saves, his grace empowers, and we are free, we still as ambassadors. And the world needs to see a God of grace, a God of love, a God who forgives the God who's made the way that they can come into relationship with him and have a hope in a future. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you do not treat us 
as we deserve. You give us what we don't deserve, but you also empower us and you walk with us. Lord, I pray for every single one of us that we would have an, have an ever-increasing revelation of your character and your nature, of your grace and your mercy, of what it means to be your child able to come freely before you, but also that we would live that out, that it would bring transformation in our lives. That as you were, as it were, make your appeal through us, we would reflect you accurately, honestly. Thank you that even in all of that, there's still grace and mercy for when we don't get it right. Thank you that God, you have dealt permanently with the issue of whether we're worthy or not. And it's not what we need to worry about. But Lord, through your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit working in us and through us, we can walk intimately, obediently, joyfully, faithfully, full of love, humility, grace, that people would see you in and through us. Lord, I ask this morning that if there's anybody here this morning who has battled to understand and have revelation of your acceptance and your grace, that by your Spirit right now you would supernaturally move in their lives and bring them to that place of relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.